Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm a feminist, but I recently did a gig with a fellow comedian who happens to be a very, very large, beautiful man. And when we got to the gig, we were in like one of those taxi van things. There was a little bit of a step to come out of the van. Mm. And as I went to step to come out of the van, he picked me up, like into the air. I had no choice in it, like picked me all, all of me up, right? (laughs) Didn't leave anything behind. And lifted me into the air. And I giggled like a girl and felt like such a princess. <laughs> I loved it. I was like, oh my God, I'm a princess. Zoe, so I, I can't imagine it, but I'm so thrilled that that happened and that you felt like that. I'm a feminist, but the best part of seeing Michelle Obama live at the O2 last night, don't mean to go on about it, was when she told the story about meeting Barack, as I now call him because I feel like we're really close. Um, It was described as an intimate discussion with Michelle Obama. It was the O2. There were 12,000 people there, like literally 12,000, and the place was packed. She got a standing ovation as she walked onto the stage and then won again at the end. But the moments where everyone was just leaning in on tenterhooks where she was telling the story like it was a Sex and the City brunch about how she met Barack... (laughs) And how she was his supervisor at work. Did you know that? Oh. I mean, if it was the other way round, wrong. But... (laughs) Totally acceptable this way round. Well, there are different issues with women. I mean, obviously, you've got to be very careful of all power gaps, and some of them are valid. But I think she wasn't that much more senior to him. Anyway, it was absolutely incredible, and I'm a little bit high (laughs) and giggly, but mostly because I feel like I have heard intimate details of her marriage that I shouldn't have. I am a feminist, but over the last few years, I have progressively got deliberately worse at doing the laundry at home. So now my wife does it all, and it's brilliant. (laughs) I'm not even allowed near the washing machine. I can't do anything anymore. I can't do it. It's absolutely brilliant. I have the neatest knicker drawer of anybody I know. And it's it's all her. That's interesting, because I'm a feminist, but I feel the same about the kitchen. I'm trying to remodel the kitchen to make it better. Mm. And my husband, Tom Selinsky, yes, I'm naming him, um, said, you never even come into the kitchen. And I said, I come into the kitchen to make coffee and find biscuits. (laughs) (laughs) So there is not an even distribution of labour in our house. But I feel like, This is my payback for 10,000 years of patriarchy. (laughs) Personally. I am getting a personal payback. Am I capitalising on the fact that for 10,000 years women were oppressed and put into a kitchen? 
Yes. Is that my debt to be repaid? No. Am I happy about it? I am. And I'm balancing it out by sticking another woman in my kitchen. So, yeah, it's all... That's all oh, even yeah. Stevens, isn't oh, it? That's true. It's all even Stevens. I said cannot. to somebody the other day, I think she likes it. I think she likes doing the washing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get her out. She's always with the knickers and the socks and the folding. She folds like a sort of Benetton star. She, she loves it. Have you got another one? I do. I am a feminist, but whenever I hear a TV exec say they want more women on their panel shows, I always think, yes, as long as that woman is me. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm all for the sisterhood, but to a point. Like, <laughs> there is a bit where I go, yeah, me, out the way, bitch. There we go. I'm a feminist, but I don't know if any of you have heard, but right before we came on stage, Notre Dame Cathedral is on fire, and it's really genuinely terrible. Definitely, definitely not funny. And someone in the dressing room was saying, yeah, apparently they were doing renovations and something went wrong and it caught fire. And Zoe went, oh, can you imagine being that person to have set an almost thousand-year-old cathedral, most famous cathedral in the world, on fire? And I just suddenly thought, oh, my God, I hope it's not a woman. Because then we'll all be blamed. I hope at least it's a man, because then he'll be blamed as an individual. All men will not be blamed for the burning down of Notre Dame. But if it was a woman... Oh, yeah. all women will be not allowed to renovate yeah. things. It'll be, so, it'll be some poor bloke who's doing a bit of riveting and it's just, I don't know, his fag's got f- caught fire or something. It's He's just not meant like, to be smoking on the no, side. No. Oh, sacre bleu! <laughs> I mean, having to explain that when you get home to... You know, you know, How was your day, Philip? Do not ask. <laughs> Live from King's Place in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Zoe Lyons, and our very special guests, Amy LaMay and Alicia Whitmire, talking about safety at night. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Zoe Lyons, and we're talking about safety at night. This is the audience, this is Zoe. Hi. Hello. Aww. (laughs) They're terribly nice. They're lovely. Look at you, you're gorgeous. Well done. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, have you had a guilty week or a feminist week, Zoe, would you say? Uh, a bit of both, I think. That's the idea of the show, so yeah, that's useful. Yeah, a bit of both. I've done what I wanted to do, which is about as feminist as you can possibly be, isn't it? I've done what Well, it I depends what you want to do. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've had quite a nice week. I did a little thing for Radio 4. That was quite nice. Uh, I did Just a Minute. Oh, lovely. Is, yeah. And that's normally a very boys' show, if it you don't quite, mind me saying. Normally quite a boys' show, but there were two of us on. Two ladies. Two of us. Two, wow. two of us on. Because they um, have... The BBC have said there has to be a woman on every panel show, and they have generally taken that as a maximum. A two. Guideline. But yeah. no, one, 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 is a, one is a maximum usually. Two for they, birthday. Yeah. Two, um, yes, two for birthdays in Wimbledon. Yeah. So, in the uh, words of wonderful Millie Thomas. Uh, yeah. So you were one of the two. I was one of the two. Who was the other one? Um, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Oh, very, I love very, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Yeah, very yeah. good. Very, very funny. Um, so that was quite fun. And so you talked for a minute without... No, in- I'm really bad at it. and I have no idea why they keep inviting me back. I think somebody must have dropped out last minute. But I'm always happy to take the job. But it turns out I am quite bad at it. But I think they get me on because I'm so bad at it. They can't quite believe how bad I am at it. I mean, I, I actually went for three seconds at one point. Nicholas was just like, I've never seen anything as bad as this before in my life. Like, <laughs> Does everyone know this show? You have just to talk minute, yeah. uninterrupted for a minute without it's repetition. Deviation. Deviation. Hesitation. Or hesitation. Can't even get that bit out without deviating or hesitating. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I realise I hesitate. I would. I would have been immediately. Yeah, kind it's of quite interesting. We did two records, and it was quite fun because it, the first one I was really bad, and then it, like, we do the second record straight away. And I, took, I just took myself off to the dressing room of my mind, had a really strong talk with myself, a bit of orange, and uh, came back out fighting in the second episode. That's feminism in a nutshell. That's it. That yeah, is absolutely. It. We fail cheerfully, <laughs> <laughs> cheerfully, triumphantly. And then came back out all guns blazing. So, yeah, so that was quite feminist. And then guilty, I took a weekend off. Feminism? 
I took a weekend off feminism and just <laughs> got it up all over the place. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's exhausting to keep it up full oh, time. Oh, just wolf whistled all over the place. And um, I went to Ali Pally on Saturday and went to see Robin. I didn't know Robin yet. Oh, yeah. I did perv like a dirty old man, though, I've got to be honest. Honestly, I Who's couldn't help. Robin? She's a Swedish electro-pop goddess. And uh, she's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> there were a lot of very happy lesbians in Ali Pally. <laughs> 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 sorry, I just spat. Sorry, I got overexcited. You looked a bit like Benny Hill when yeah, you did Yeah, yeah, totally. That's I'm frightening. Sorry. Yes. No, yeah. no, no. Dirty, well, I must... dirty old man. That's what I am at times now. It's just awful. Yeah, but it was great. Absolutely brilliant. She's brilliant. She's just a powerful woman. She's just amazing. Are so. you turning into an old white straight man? I really am. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am. I don't think it's happening. I'll get a shed and just sit in it, just whittling stuff at some point. Yeah. Just barking at your wife for cups yeah, of tea. Yeah. I'll be doing my hobbies in my shed, drinking stout. I'd be quite happy. Listening to Robin on the wireless. Listen to Robin. Yeah. That sounds like a dream. Just magazines about cars. Just and... cars and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, who were you going to the pub with in this scenario? Is it an actual old white man or is it a lesbian who you feel has, has the same old white man sensibility as you? Probably an actual old white man at this point. Yeah, Just we talk someone... about allotments, uh, <laughs> our root vegetables, maybe fishing. Could you talk about how everything's changed and things aren't as good as they were? Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, do you remember Bernie back in the day? It was just better then, wasn't it? Better, it was better then, but so it was better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how's the Mrs. Bernie? She's all right, so how's yours? Oh, you know, the old dog and bone, yeah, you know. The old dog and bone? The old dog and bone, that's, that's not right, the is phone, it? That's isn't it? I feel like she should be the old ball and chain. That's a ball and chain, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No wonder she gets really pissed off when I call her a dog and bone. It's, um... <laughs> You are going to use Cockney rhyming slam to address you? your, your other half. Do get it right. I've never, mar- I've never met your wife. Is she, in fact, an iPhone? Mm. Mm. You just download yeah. videos of Robin on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just scroll through my Hey, wife. Siri. Yeah. Do you generally feel safe at night? Zoe, are you someone with a wide peripheral vision? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I feel like a sort of urban ninja. Um, do you? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I'm a little bit, you know, you have to be sort of on your toes, don't you? Because obviously we are out at night quite a bit um, mm, as, as comedians. comedians. You know, I hope I'm pretty good at being an observer mm. and therefore observing when something might be potentially a bit icky or something. So I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty good at taking it all in. Yeah, I have really good peripheral vision. And I know this. Well, partly because I'm a woman at night, so I'm, you know, I'm a woman in the day as well. Um, <laughs> but at night, especially, I'm like, I can see, I can feel, I can hear. But also, some women do have better peripheral vision than some men. And I'd read about this, and then I had it proven to me because I was with a yoga teacher, and he said, put your arms back so they're still in your peripheral vision. So I went like that. And he went, no, so they're still in your peripheral vision. And then he pushed them together like that. So if you're listening at home, I had them way outside of my body like wings, and he pushed them forward like I was catching a basketball. I was like... Oh, my peripheral vision goes right back. He said, does it? And I said, oh, yeah, some women have um, a wider peripheral vision than some men. And he went, oh, that explains it. Because when I say to my students, put your arms back so they're still in your peripheral vision, I think, what are you doing? And he said, I can only see to there. And I was like, well, that is a poor instruction. Uh, That is, he said, he could only see to there. That's true. But I think partly we might have a predilection to better peripheral vision, but then our constant need to be safe extends it because anything you exercise, uh, your awareness can extend, I think. Mm. So uh, this is all science. (laughs) Um, This is all 100% gold-plated science. And if you know otherwise, please do tweet. You've already... Oh, no, you've already done it. You've already tweeted me. Uh, (laughs) Wherever you're listening. You're in Norway. You've already got the phone out. You've already tweeted me to say that's not how it works. I think it is. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yes, you may be a peripheral vision expert doing a PhD in peripheral vision, but... My you said it with confidence, though, Deborah. So, it's, yeah, as long as you deliver it with confidence, you can get away with anything, yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think I have this sort of... I definitely have an awareness. An awareness, yeah. Because yeah. you get that gut feeling, don't you? When you can walk into a train carriage and just go... And, you know, you don't know why. You know, there's just something there. And then you Spidey sort of, sense. Yeah, spidey sense. Secret spidey sense. And also, if I've just done stand-up comedy and I've had a great gig, I'll tell you 
Men take liberties. Really? Well, they don't know that I've just done stand-up. They can't tell, but they know something. There's like an extra thing you're giving off, sort of like an aura. I feel I'm radiating a confidence yeah. that is sometimes misinterpreted as sexual at a bus stop. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why it's happened more than once. I... Did a gig, it was like a charity gig, and I walked to a bus stop, and they'd given me a bottle of champagne to say thank you. So I'm standing at a bus stop in central London with a bottle of champagne, and this guy comes up, quite cute guy as well, comes up, and he just goes, so where are we drinking that? And I went, sorry, what? And he said, I mean, it's 11 o'clock, let's go and drink that. Should we drink that at your place or should we drink that at my place? And I was like, well, probably yours because my husband's in. <laughs> and anyway, then he got on the bus. I mean, I shouldn't have said that because that joke invited him getting on the same bus as me. Whether or not he was meant to get on that bus, history does not relate. And I was like, why do I... Because men don't normally hit on me, but there were times. The first time I did my solo Edinburgh, oh, my God, it was extraordinary. I've never experienced the like of it. Well, I suppose because when you're on stage, you've got to be that extra, haven't you? You've got to be that more of you. Mm. So that when you come off stage, you obviously are just sort of emanating that. I think I've learned to turn it down. Turn it right down so you don't get picked up at bus stops. Yes, I've learned to turn the volume down. Physically, because yeah. I think I was so high that night. I had a really good show, and I was like, I'd got a bottle of champagne. I was just feeling it, and I'm walking down the street, feeling myself. And <laughs> that might be the problem. No. <laughs> That's giving mixed Wasn't messages. That kind of feeling myself. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Jessica Regan here from the Big Speeches Workshop. I'm delighted to tell you that we've added some summer dates. So the Big Speeches Workshop is happening in the Ye Old Rose and Crown Theatre Pub on the 21st and 28th of July and the 4th and 11th of August. So do please go to the Guilty Feminist website to book your places and they go fast. So get on it. Looking forward to seeing you there. Sorry to interrupt your content consumption, but can I quickly suggest a podcast you might like? It's called Grown Up Land. Every week, comedian Heidi Regan, podcaster Ned Sedgwick, if that is even a job, Syrian Dreamboat, Steve Alley, and me, comedian Sophie Duca, are joined by a brilliant guest to discuss the bewildering pursuit of adulthood. We talk sex, jobs, rejection, jealousy, sex, all with help from BBC Radio 4. That's the Grown Up Land podcast. Make sure you subscribe on BBC Sounds. So most of the scary things that have happened to me have happened to me at night. I came back home after a long weekend when I was at university and I had sort of a university cottage. It was a studenty cottage that they had in Oxford. Um, and that's right, I went to Oxford. Don't go on about it. No need. Uh, and the house had been burgled. Presumably they'd burgled at night. They would have been seen in the day. There were sort of muddy footprints on the bed. But the thing that made it a truly Oxford burglary is they'd got the chess set out and had a game. <laughs> Nowhere else in the world, even the burglars in Oxford are intellectuals. It was a bank holiday weekend. They thought they're away. They'd got out a couple of glasses of whiskey, had a swift go. They'd probably put the timer on. And we'd just cancelled our insurance. We'd not cancelled. Uh, okay, when I say we just cancelled our insurance, Tom had asked me to pay it and I'd forgotten. Um, and so that was scary thing number one. Scary thing number two, another bank holiday weekend. Beware of them. The burglars are everywhere. We were going away. We were actually going away uh, for the bank holiday weekend. But we weren't going away till kind of, you know, Saturday lunchtime. We weren't going away on the Friday night. So it's sort of coming out of night into dawn. I wake up and I just, just, I don't know why I've woken up. I don't know why. You don't always know why you've woken up, do you? You wake up, you don't know why you've woken up. You don't know why you've woken up. I didn't know why I'd woken up. I had a sip of water from the bedside table and suddenly realised I was looking into the eyes of a man who was crouched in the corner of my room and he was just like completely still, <laughs> squatting, squatting and frozen. Like I might just think he's a statue of a gargoyle and go back to sleep. I did not. I was just like, I started going, Tom, 
Tom. Tom's like, oh, what? there's a man in the room. He's like, what? There's a man in the room. I don't know why I'm squatting now. I wasn't squatting. I was lying down. And we were on a low-fit-on bed, because I'd just left Oxford at that point, so we didn't have any money. And so we were very low, and we weren't wearing much. Don't mean to go on about it. <laughs> if you know what I mean! And I think you do! Um, so we were both lying there, quite vulnerable, low down and naked. And, um, and there was a man... Anyway, he stood up, and he went in a really... He, it wasn't that big a guy, actually, but he had a really low voice. And I don't know if you put it on. You probably practised it. You would, wouldn't you? You'd need a burglar voice in case of emergencies. And he just went, stay there. Like a James Earl Jones, sort of... It was a bit like Darth Vader. Stay there. I was just, like, completely frozen. But I saw that in his hand, he had a silver case, which he assumed had a camera in it or something like that. But in fact, was my makeup case. <laughs> oh, no, motherfucker. <laughs> Not to fucking... Like, it's fucking worthless to him. He's just going to throw it in a ditch. But that is years, years of a crude max factor. A bit, oh, a lipstick they don't do anymore called Honey Glaze, which is the only lipstick that makes me feel good when I'm feeling sad. That's in there. That is in there. There's an old Estee Lauder foundation that I only use when I need to go to a wedding or something fancy. There's all of that stuff. There's hundreds and hundreds of pounds probably in there, but it's all half used, no good to anybody else. So I just looked him in the eye and went, there's any makeup in there? And he went, what? Oh, no, that's, now, he, now he sounds like he's dying. He wasn't dying. <laughs> what? And I said, there's only makeup in there. I said, drop the case. <laughs> you can take the television. <laughs> and he did. He dropped the case. And then he went out and we could see him cutting the cord to the television because it was a basement flat so it had a perspex wall so that you get more light in. So you could see the sparks going because apparently it's easier to cut rather than untangle. You don't want to be stopped by untangling so often they cut. So off he goes. So then Tom calls the police and uh, we're on the phone and then he comes back like he's doing trips to the car like he's moving out. We're like, what the fuck? Like, take what you've got on you, mate. Sure. Take what you've got on you, but don't come back for more. And then, not long after, I was walking down Camden High Street, you know, in the evening, night, 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 but feeling, feeling pretty good. And I've got a bag, and I, I often don't zip my handbag under my arm, and in it was a little silver pouch. And do you know what it had in it? That's right, my friends, it had my makeup in it. <laughs> but this guy clearly thought it was some kind of purse or wallet or something, and just opportunistically pulled it out of my bag. Now, what you should do in that situation is just simply back away and say it's only things. What, in fact, I did was lunge towards him, screaming like a banshee. <laughs> he did drop the makeup pouch. Oh, yes, he did. And he ran very fast away. Please do not do that. It is not recommended by police officers or anybody who knows about survival. Um, sure, he could have had a knife or a gun or something like that. But he didn't. What I'm saying is don't stand between me and my Revlon. I think that's what we've learned here. And finally, the final time, I was doing some uh, scripting in a cafe and uh, doing some writing, writing a screenplay. The end, it was at night time, and I thought, actually, I'm going to go home now. And in my bag, I had this laptop, and I'm walking down the street, and I come off, like, away from the shops and everything to go into my street, which is just a residential street. And someone had clearly followed me and waited till I got off the beaten path. And just as I got out the front of my flat... I felt this bag being pulled behind me. Now, what you should do, and what you must do, is just let go of that bag. You must release, you must release. But I had a screenplay in there, and I'd only saved it to that laptop, which you should not do. Again, what you should do is save and then release. Save to the cloud and then release. <laughs> what I did was go, this laptop, you could probably pawn for 100 quid. But, this is all, obviously, lightning speed in my brain, lightning speed, but... I cannot do all this work again. Like, I would actually rather you knife me at this point. <laughs> it's very hard writing a screenplay for other people. You know, and you've got to do notes again and again for all different people. I was nearly finished with this screenplay, and I was just like, no, you can't have it. So I didn't even see who it was. I just <laughs> turned around. I mean, like this man had made a play for my makeup, to be honest. And I ran towards him, and he just went, oh! Like, and he let go. And I just screamed and screamed. And as he ran away, I screamed after him, you better run! 
Never do that. <laughs> it did feel quite good, though. It did feel quite good. I felt bad for him, though. He was like a little guy in a hoodie. He was, like, he was young. I wanted to... I just felt like he wasn't doing that because he wanted to. He was doing that because his brother or someone had taught him to nick iPhones. And I'd had my iPhone out. And I just thought, do you know what I really want to do? I want to chase after him, trip him up and offer to retrain him. <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, you probably can't. It's not safe because I didn't know who else was there. But if anyone sees him, <laughs> I'll give him an internship because I just think nobody's doing that as a first choice except those fuckers with the chess set. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hello, Guilty Feminists. Briefly interrupting your podcast listening, just to say thank you so much to everyone who came out to the Royal Albert Hall, told someone, wanted to come but couldn't, participated on stage or backstage. It was the gig of our lives. We'd love to share our highlights in podcast form. We don't normally sell advertising due to many various feminist reasons. But for this one, we would need a sponsor because it costs extra if you want to release a podcast from a venue like the Royal Albert Hall. So if anyone was interested in sponsoring a Royal Albert Hall Guilty Feminist episode and has two and a half thousand pounds, then please let us know and we'll do our best to get it out to you. Now, if you are at Latitude Festival this weekend, I'm going to be there too. And I'm doing half an hour of stand-up comedy in the Cabaret Theatre on Saturday at 4.15. Then I'm doing a panel with the Consent Collective at the Speakeasy at 8.40 on Saturday. On Sunday, we're doing The Guilty Feminist and that will be at the Theatre Arena at 3pm. But I would queue up early for that to make sure you get in. And then at 7 o'clock, I'm in the Speakeasy as a guest on Talk Art with Russell Tovey, which I'm very, very excited about. I'm going to tell you all about my favourite art things. So hope to see you at Latitude. Are you going to Edinburgh? We will be there on the 2nd, on the 3rd and on the 4th of August at 4pm in the Pleasance Grand. Go to pleasance.co.uk for Guilty Feminist tickets. Right now they're selling very fast. On the 10th of August, we'll be on the South Bank in London at 7.15pm at the Underbelly. Go to underbellyfestival.com for tickets, also going fast. And on the 24th of August at 7.30pm, we will be at the Edinburgh Playhouse with the Secret Policeman, the legendary Amnesty International show. Uh, we've got all sorts of incredible people on the bill, including Nish Kumar, Rachel Paris, Phoebe Robertson from Two Dope Queens, Desiree Birch, Cindy V, all sorts of incredible people. Grace Petrie, Jess Robinson, you have got to get tickets right now. Go to atgtickets.com for details. Now, back to the podcast. Our guests today are twofold. The first one is a writer, performer and presenter who became London's first night czar in 2016 and holds that title to the present day. And she's joined by the gender editor of the opinion section of the New York Times. Please put your hands together and make wonderful guilty feminist woohooing noises for Amy LeMay and Alicia Whitmire. <laughs> So, could you please introduce yourself to the audience? I am Amy LeMay, and I'm the Night Czar of London. Hello, I am Alicia Whitmire. I am the gender editor for the opinion section of the New York Times. So, firstly, Amy LeMay, uh, could you explain what the Night Czar is? <laughs> because it sounds a lot like a Batman villain. If you don't mind me saying. Yeah, it does sound like I have a special superhero costume that I change into when the sun goes down. But I can guarantee you that is not the case. I was appointed Night Czar by the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, in November 2016. And my job is to look after everyone who works at night, everyone who enjoys our city at night. Between the hours of 6 p.m. and 6 a.m., 
I am a night's so eye for all So Sadiq just leaves the office at six and is like, <laughs> tag team Amy. And he just goes and sits in the pub. And if anything goes wrong in London, after six o'clock, he's like, get Amy to sort it out. Yeah, pretty much. He did, because no. I, I met Sadiq Khan. Don't mean to go on about it, but I did a little bit for the podcast with Sadiq. He's lovely. And he told me that he... Because he invented this role, didn't he? Yeah. he? He decided that somebody should be in charge of the night. And uh, it should be a woman because women know about the night. Uh, we're experienced in nighttime adventures. And he said, but I thought, I can't call her the nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why she's called the night Saw. That is the greatest story in the world. <laughs> He does warn me that he can change it at any time if I don't behave myself. So. Wow. What an inclusive and not sexist boss. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sadiq Khan is... is I know. We're both, we're both joking. Please don't tweet Sadiq Khan. Uh, it's a joke. It's a joke. So tell us, how has London changed after dark since you've become the night czar? What have you done? Yeah. What have you brought in? So it's interesting, night czars or nightmares, as they are sometimes called in other cities, London is just one city in the world that has a night czar or a nightmare. Uh, we're the largest city in the world with a night czar, but cities like Tokyo, New York, Detroit, Sydney, Berlin, Amsterdam, all either have or are looking to appoint uh, someone in this particular role. And I think that it's a sign, really, of cultural status for cities and also how important it is for cities to take into consideration the night. So much of you know, how cities are designed and how we see things are in broad daylight, but in fact, there are 1.6 million people usually working in London at night. Mm. And you know, I've always been a woman who's loved going out at night, loved working at night. You know what it's like having to go to work and come I'm at work and right now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's important that we look at this in balance. So, you know, one of the things that I've been doing is trying to protect the spaces in London mm-hmm. that have been so at risk. So nightclubs, LGBT venues, grassroots live music venues. The past 10 years, we've lost a lot of them in London. And so I work really closely with the mayor's culture at risk office mm-hmm. to help save them. So we've had a direct impact on over 200 nighttime venues in London. Can you give us a little fill-in? Because we did an episode where we were trying to save the black cap, and we're still working on that. And Are you directly working on the black cap, trying Mm. to get it back to be an LGBTQ music venue? Yeah, that is one of the venues that we look at. We've got a whole host of venues that are kind of on our at-risk register in every corner of London, not just, you know, the centre of town. And I think it's important that we have to really work hard to preserve them, help them not just survive, but to thrive, because these are the places that make London, London. It's Mm. so true, isn't it? I've walked through Soho these days as well, and it's just been sort of concreted over so much. So much of the old places have gone, Mm. you know. There's so many new flats and developments that you go, it's all very well living in central London, but if there's absolutely sod all left to do, what's the point, you know? Yeah, I mean, some things will, you know, they will naturally change. I mean, London is a city that is dynamic and always changes. But there are certain things in our city that make London, London. And we really have to look after them and really have to cherish them. And quite often, these are places that are really vibrant at night and mm. places where people are able to express themselves mm. and, you know, be creative. And you've brought the 24-hour tube in. Yeah, we've got 24-hour tube on the weekends I'm now in London. That. That's changed Has my any, life. anybody here yeah. take the night tube? Love the night tube. <laughs> It's about, it was about time, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it's no, about, I know. Like, London sort of got to about half past 11 and went, no, that's it, sorry. Um, not with a But it's actress. interesting. I you always know, used to think New York was the city that ever slept and London was the city that liked a nice early night. And that's changed now because you and Sadiq have brought the night tube in and it has made it a lot safer as well that yeah. you think you, know, Absolutely. you can get to a tube station. Alicia, speaking of New York, you were the gender editor of the opinion section of the New York Times but you work in London. You, do, you work yeah. in the London office. Why does the New York Times have a London office? Um, we just really love covering Brexit. 
<laughs> no, we, uh, we do cover Brexit, as we are required to do, but it's actually for um, kind of unsexy time zone related reasons. So it's a very unsexy big Unsexy time zone related reasons? Yeah, it's a very big office, actually. It's the second biggest office in the world outside of New York, but a lot of it is that there's like editing being done there. So there's reporters there, but like it's a good time zone for like being in touch with Asia and the Middle East and also with the States. So, so it's not our city that you like, it's our time zone. <laughs> Are you borrowing our time but of love, day? But I love... When, they, when, you, when someone... Well, she wouldn't give the time of day to me. They are literally talking about you. I see, I see. So you're here encroaching on our time zone. That is so American. Very... We don't... Re- we need people to work around the clock, move some of them to London. So you're in... So true, actually. That's also why there's people in Hong Kong. I'm not kidding. Oh, really? Yeah. There's just like the sun never sets. Yeah, yeah. on the New York Times. Yeah. On the New York Times. Yeah. So you're here. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Do you have to write a lot about women's safety around the world? Because it's an international newspaper. It's probably the most famous newspaper in the world. I write some, but I'm primarily an editor. So mostly I am asking people to write. But yes, absolutely. So we have people writing about women's safety in London and obviously in the US, but, you know, in places like South Korea, for instance, where, you know, they have these very specific problems of women's safety, very specific to South Korea. They have this big voyeurism problem. I don't know if anyone has read or anyone for the South Korea voyeurism. Uh, <laughs> they have a very big um, problem of women getting filmed in bathrooms. Oh, I was reading about this. It's yeah, a big yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. There's like every women's safety takes a special form and in yeah. every place. So yes, we do a lot of stuff. With, with, we are with, violated in a variety of ways. Right. So many ways, oh, yeah. Around God's yeah. green earth. Yeah. <laughs> There's it's, always it's, a special surprising way <laughs> that you will be oppressed and attacked. And so if you go to Seoul and you use a public restroom... Be careful. There's a, there could be, be a camera in the toilet. That's you need oh, one okay, of those relaxing. little mirrors that you use under a car to yeah. see if there's something in there. Sort of, you know, in the loo? Yeah. yeah. What, they I, put a camera in the loo? Yeah. That is that quite is a specific... Uh, so, don't pink. give Londoners ideas. <laughs> Do you feel safe in London compared to other cities where you've lived? I will say that I feel quite safe in London, mm. yes. I sort of did a survey among people that I know before coming on the show, you know, how safe do you feel in, in London? Because I live in a, you know, zone zone one, zone two, edge zone. I'm showing bubble. off, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I went around asking people, you know, how safe do you feel in London? And I think the consensus is that at least the people that I asked also feel very safe in London. But these are my colleagues and my friends, you mm. know. So these are women around me. And so they are, you know, for the most part, middle-class women. And I think that is a big component of what affects your feelings of safety. Yeah, I mean, when you bring in layers of vulnerability right. into that, that's when it you know, brings in a whole nother set of issues. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, one of the other things I'm so proud of doing as Knights are is bringing in the Women's Night Safety Charter Mm. to London. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it's a charter that is for companies, uh, licensed premises, anywhere that sort of, you know, operates at night to sign up to. It's a plan where you can promote women's safety in your place of work. Uh, easy seven-point plan. Uh, it's in the mayor's Violence Against Women and Girls strategy. He's pledged £44 million pounds to end violence against women and girls in London. And this is just a really practical way for businesses to sign up and to actually 
get the message out there. So we're asking. I like for that because to... it puts the onus on the power structures, not yeah. on the women. Absolutely. And that's what really struck me, you know, when you were talking about your behavior, you know, when you said, oh, I went like that, I went really teeny tiny. And that stuff breaks my heart because I think this isn't about having to change women's behavior. This is about changing the behavior of some men. And we have to get those men to change their behavior because for way too long we've had to be developing supersonic like you know peripheral vision and thinking oh I won't stay at that bus stop or should I be walking down that street Mm -hmm. etc etc so London is overwhelmingly safe but we have to work harder to make it safer Mm -hmm. and so the Women's Night Safety Charter goes some way to doing that and you know organizations and places that Probably all of you have been here. The O2. The O2 have signed up to it. Uh, Ministry of Sound, TFL. Could you um, tell us a couple of points from it? Yeah. So one of them is to run a campaign within your organization to let women know that it's important to them and that this service is available. There's also a point around reporting and believing when it's reported because I think this is something that women still have to deal with is that they might say something, but then they feel like they're not being believed Mm. or some excuses are given. So it's about having training within an organization so that people can come forward and report it and actually feel heard. And then, you know, there's also a point around the design of the workplace and making a workplace that is acceptable for women at night. Because if you think about even the public realm, you know, it's designed by men. Mm. And that is perhaps one of the reasons why women might feel so uncomfortable. And so thinking about our environment, thinking about our surroundings, but it's meant as a very practical tool with a toolkit. Mm. You know, we've partnered with Good Night Out. You may have seen their posters around in licensed venues. They're brilliant. So uh, we're really going gung-ho for more people to sign up. What does Good Night Out do? So Good Night Out is, uh, has anybody seen their posters around in bars and stuff? It's about, yeah, it's about just making you aware around sexual harassment in mostly licensed venues. So bars, pubs, clubs, and they do training for licensed premises as well. So, you know, teaching staff how to deal with situations, you know, if somebody comes up to the bar and says, oh, that guy's acting a bit weird, you know, not to say, oh, just ignore him, Mm. you know, like has happened (laughs) to me before. Is it true that there's some kind of code words that you can say to bar staff now? Yeah, there's a campaign called Ask for Angela. Mm. Has that, you've heard of that? So if the bar staff are trained in this, you can go up and say, "Uh, can I, can I speak to Angela, please? And like, they'll help if you're like on a weird date or... You know, Someone's somebody's behind you harassing you or someone has Yeah, a somebody's touch you, whatever it might be, and they will help you. They'll take you to a safe place. They might be able to call you a cab, you know, that kind of stuff. I thought it must be a bit awkward if you are called Angela and you do work in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> Every time somebody asks for you, they're escorted yeah, out of the building. It's so, true. It's yeah. tricky. Yeah. It's like, but I, oh, I, I think no. the message is that, like, you know, there's so many different organizations, so many different campaigns that are going on. And the more we talk about it, the more we get it out there, the more we report it to stop it, the more we stop being just bystanders, the more we take sort of good men alongside us. It's really important because even though London is overwhelmingly a safe city, sometimes it doesn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And we have to be honest about that. Alicia, you were saying earlier that we are often taught to be frightened of what's outside, but actually, statistically, we're unlikely to be attacked outside. Right. So I think this is always kind of an important point to bring up when we're having conversations like this, because it kind of puts things in perspective, which is that in a city like London, London is a relatively safe city. When things happen, you know, in in kind of a random way outside on the street, it's very frightening. The thing is, we know statistically that, you know, if, mm, don't quote me on this, but something like 90% of sexual assaults are acquaintance-based. So, you know, the notion that someone is, like, hiding behind a dumpster or something to, like, leap out at you, we know that this is not really how sexual assault works these days. Similarly... I mean, it might do, but it's much less likely to be a stranger on the street. It's much less likely, and it might, but I think the thing is, that is a lot of where the emphasis is often placed. Right. Of course, that mm. can happen and does happen, yeah. and I don't want to minimise it if it has happened right. to anyone. Right. But we tend to look at the spectre out. It's a bit like with children. We talk about stranger danger. 
but actually often right. the abuser is somebody who's well known to them. Who they know. And sort of similarly with acts of sort of physical violence of a non-sexual nature, when that happens to women, for the most part, that's domestic abuse as well. So I think it's always kind of worth pointing out that's an area of danger to women that often doesn't get a lot of attention, in part because it's kind of much more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it involves sort of dealing with your complicated feelings towards people you have relationships with or people that you know or you might care about. And if we, as women, want more opinion pieces around violence and what we can do about them, mm. is the New York Times a place where we should be coming? <laughs> I've set you up for the biggest plug there yes. in the history of the guilty feminist. Please. Uh, yes, it's, it's uh, definitely a place where you can be coming. We have two gender editors, not just me. Um, I work on the opinion side and uh, we're very strict about keeping a sort of separation between opinion and the news. But the newsroom side, we have also has their own gender editor. I'm going to be a good New York Times employee now and say that we are the news organization that broke the Harvey Weinstein story. Uh, so this is a subject that we care a lot about. So please uh, subscribe. subscribe. <laughs> the, the reason, Thank you, Deborah. Yeah. Well, the reason I say it is because I have a new hashtag, which I'm hoping will catch on. It's a guilty feminist hashtag, which is we have to pay for a free press because mm. there's so much misinformation on the internet now. Journalists are consistently being laid off, paid less, don't have proper facilities. Oh, just write it up at home, write it quickly, not being given the resources to research things. The Guardian, who we did a whole show with Guardian Live on this topic, where we talked to Catherine Viner about it, and they broke Windrush and they broke Cambridge Analytica But they put years of time into that and years of resources. It wasn't just like, oh, top 10 things that that suck if you're running in an election. Um, (laughs) It was really seriously researched. And the same with, I know, with the Weinstein story. It takes a lot of bravery, a lot of insurance. A lot of legal fees. (laughs) A lot of legal fees. You can't do it. You can't do it. Just if you're just one journalist breaking a story... Buy one less coffee a week and pop that into The Guardian because it's more important. Put it into The New York Times because it's more important. Please subscribe. And they are employing uh, gender editors to think about these things and they're separating news and opinion. Just that alone in these times (laughs) is worth the money. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Is there anything, Amy, that you would like to tell us as women in London, or in fact women around the world who listen to this podcast globally, about how we can be more engaged citizens without sort of somehow taking on this role that it's the victim's fault and we need to, you know, go out wearing special pants with special nail polish on in order to protect <laughs> ourselves because, you know, it, what is there anything you can tell us that you want us to know about London or about women and safety uh, from your role as the Knights are? Yeah. I would really encourage all the women that are here tonight, and the men as well, to ask your organization, your employer, to sign up to the Mayor's Women's Night Safety Charter. I'd also say that if you have ever been a victim of anything like this, it's really important to report it, to stop it. It doesn't mean that you have to say who, when, where, exactly everything, but it helps the police build up a picture. And we're actually seeing direct results of this. So... Mm. We know, for example, that there's one particular line, the central line in London, where there was a lot of uh, sexual touching going on. And now we are having CCTV installed on the central so line. So you can report so, it even if you don't think, well, they'll never catch him. And yes, I'm exactly. upset now and blah, 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 blah. And even old, if you report it five days later, yep, report it. Absolutely, because what it does is it helps TFL and it helps the police build up a picture of where these incidents are happening. British Transport Police have put on so many extra plainclothes police officers that are on the underground and on our public transport well, system. Aware of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm, so this is the kind of direct result of report it to stop it. So if you ever think, oh, I'm not going to do that, it's too much hassle, mm. you can or just... I'm upset today yeah. and two days later it's too late, that yeah. kind of thing. It's not. It's never too late. And the other thing I'd say is be a good bystander. You know, I mean, even if you're not being affected directly yourself. I mean, this happened to me the other week. I was on the night tube and, you know, this old drunk guy was trying to chat up this young woman 
And I just went and sat next to her, and I said, I don't know you, <laughs> but I'm going to act like we're really old friends, and I haven't seen you for ages. <laughs> and I just started chatting to her, and, you know, it diffused the situation, and he left her alone, yeah. and she felt safe, and I, made, and I made sure, you know, she got to another carriage, and, you know, it's just like instances like that. It's like the sisterhood looking out for each other, making sure we're safe when we're out and about. Um, and eventually we'll get those men, you know, the perpetrators to change their behavior. Um, but in the meantime, we've got to report it. We've got to spread the word. We've got to sign up to the charter and carry on looking after our sisters. I love the idea that when you left the carriage, they went, who was that? <laughs> it was the night song. <laughs> God, imagine if the night stars saved you at oh, night. How awesome. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but... Whoa! What? A what? Um, and by the way, can I say, Amy LeMay has a BBC Radio 6 show which has got the coolest music, and she interviewed me on it. So tonight, which I said, you're also the night star, and you have this cool BBC Radio 6 show... Like, how cool are you? It's so... That's a level of coolness beyond... Like, it's like if Sadiq Khan, like, had a radio show about sports cars or something, I'd be like, what? Like, enough. If, it's like if Sadiq Khan were also James Bond. There you go. There's a thought now. Hi, it's Tom. It's Jess. And John. From the Best Pick podcast. We're just dropping in to let you know that we're doing another live recording. On Sunday the 15th of September at 12 noon, we'll be watching Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca. Please come along and watch it with us and we would love to hear your questions and comments afterwards. It won't be just us on the mic, it'll be you too. And you get to watch the movie with us uh, during the course of the show. Book your tickets now by going to kingsplace.co.uk. We'll see you there. Bye. Are you ready to hear some stand-up comedy? Then please welcome to the stage the wonderful Zoe Lyons! (laughs) So yes, we're talking about night safety. I've blessedly reached that lovely, cushiony, middle-aged part of my life where it's not so much of an issue for me anymore because I've realised... I don't have to go out. Oh, it's, it's, oh, it's, I mean, well done for coming out this evening, people who are here. But I'm at that age where wherever I've been invited to anything, my first thought is, oh, God, I hope it's cancelled. Um, uh, who doesn't want to stay in on the sofa in your favourite onesie? Mine's a squirrel. Uh, I mean, night safety sort of taken on a different issue for me now of of different things causing danger my idea of night safety now is not spilling cocoa on myself as I go to bed at 9 30 it's a lovely place to be I mean obviously obviously you know I have had times in my life where I've been in positions where I've felt nervous or in danger when I was in my teens in the 80s that's how old I am I went to New York City when it was still famously quite a violent place to be and I went out one night on my own walking back to the hostel I got a bit lost and I ended up in quite a dodgy neighborhood and I I felt quite vulnerable and I felt quite scared but I thought don't run so that shows weakness don't run so I skipped and <laughs> actually it was a really effective way of getting out of quite horrible situations if you skip, you just look completely crazy. You, look, you are too crazy to mug. If you just like that, woo, look at me. Going through Brooklyn at 2 a.m. in the morning. And then my mum always used to say to me, so if you're ever out in the street and somebody does attack you, don't shout, help. Did you know this? Yeah. Do you know what you're supposed to shout? Fire. That's what you're supposed to shout. And it always makes me think, that's awful, isn't it? That people would be far quicker and readier to protect possessions rather than a woman in danger in the street. I just find—I mean, obviously you can tailor that uh, shout to depending on which neighbourhood you're in. You know, a slightly posher neighbourhood. If you do find yourself under threat, you know, shout. You know, somebody's scratching your Audi. <laughs> They'll be there in a second. You know, slightly older neighbourhood. They're nicking your garden gnomes. <laughs> 
apparently what you've got to do if you do feel vulnerable at night is walk with confidence. That's what you've got to do. You've got to sort of puff yourself up, sort of imagine that sort of inner glow. My problem is, though, it can tip over, right? Particularly if I've had a couple of drinks, which is like me. Uh, and that overconfidence can sort of tip over into being aggressively confident, which actually can start a problem. <laughs> And I find myself just shouting at groups of young men in the street, what are you looking at? You want some? Which is not... <coughs> not the way to go. Because I'm not, I'm not naturally an overly confident person. I'm not. I have to bump it up, you know. And I, I, I do get quite scared. And this is, this, <laughs> this is a confession I'm making in front of you people. I'm in my mid-40s, and I'm still scared of the dark. I don't like it. And whenever I go up to Edinburgh and I stay in a flat on my own, I have to buy one of those plug-in baby lights for the... Aww. Do you know the ones, the little... Usually in the shape of a bunny or something that you plug in, it stays on all night so that there's some sort of glow in the room. And if I'm being very, very honest, I'm not even afraid of intruders or actual other human beings coming into the flat. In my mind, I'm still terrified of monsters, which is just... It's genuinely true. I have a very overactive imagination. I'm scared of monsters coming in, and none of this makes any sense whatsoever. A 47-year-old woman being scared of monsters. Also, a 47-year-old woman plugging in a baby light. I mean, if a monster's come to the trouble of going to Edinburgh during the festival, it's not a cheap time. Accommodation's expensive, transport will have cost a bit. They've gone to the trouble of coming from the bowels of hell frothing at the mouth, bleeding fangs in its gob. It's not going to stop at a baby light, is it? It's not going to make all of that trouble go, oh, Jesus, a baby light. <laughs> I hadn't considered that. <laughs> I mean, now as a stand-up comedian, I do occasionally find myself in positions where I'm, I'm having to go back to my car late at night. We've all had to do this, haven't we? Sometimes dark car parks. What I used to do is put the keys in my hand, like that sort of Wolverine, you know, that sort of, you know, <laughs> yeah, come on. Uh, like a wolverine blade effect in the hands like that to sort of protect myself. But I've just got a new car and now it's got one of those plastic fobs. And so it's really thrown me. I don't know what to do now when I'm walking back to the car. I mean, what am I going to do with a plastic fob? You know, come on, I'll prod you. Um, I could potentially bruise you. And the other thing is, I was in the car park the other night and very dark, very, very dark. And I thought, well get your phone out, so with the torch on it, because your torch is on the phone now, isn't it? Because the phone is basically a Swiss Army knife of technology in your pocket, everything's on there. But then, then my brain went, yeah, but they always tell you not to get your phone out, don't they? They always tell you not to get your phone out at night. So I was in a bit of a quandary. I thought, well, like, what I actually need is an actual torch, like an actual <laughs> torch. That's what I need. I need an actual torch. And nothing looks more suspicious than somebody crawling around a car park <laughs> at midnight with a torch. <laughs> kind of prepper spray in the other hand. I mean, I actually looked like I was burglaring something. That was, you'll end up banged up in jail. That's the problem. But I have joined a gym recently. Um, thank you. And uh, <laughs> it does a lot of those self-defense classes that you do. You know, it's, exercise is quite aggressive, hasn't it, now? It's sort of <laughs> boxer size, slapper size, kicker size, puncher size. And I thought I'd give it a go. But um, first day, I put my back out um, not even doing the self-defence class, just putting my sports bra on. <laughs> and that is a real wake-up call. It really... When you realise you're at an age where you could hurt yourself merely preparing for activity... <laughs> I mean, there's dangers in the home. You see, I, I do stay in more, but even that has its own dangers, doesn't it? I mean, I realised last week, I was at home on my own, and what constitutes a panic attack really changes when you get to my age, you know. Young people, there's lots of beautiful young people in this audience, you know. You will voluntarily and actively put yourselves into positions of danger often because it, it makes you feel more alive. That's why young people traditionally go bungee jumping or whitewater rafting or any of those wild, crazy things that you do when you're young because it makes you feel more alive, doesn't it? You get that release of adrenaline, you survive it, poof, you feel alive. You know, don't feel in danger. You don't have to do any of that when you get to my age, believe me. Just do what I did last Monday, getting out of the shower <laughs> and have a little... <laughs> oh, Jesus! <laughs> I just found myself standing there going, oh, my God. Oh, you never know the day, do you? <laughs> wow, I totally nearly died there. I can feel all the blood in my own ear holes. <laughs> 
time for handles, isn't it? <laughs> that day will come. I know you're laughing at it, but it will come. Every, and, and though it seems a long way off, but at some point in your lovely lives, handle day will come. You'll, you'll come out of your bathroom or your kitchen, you'll look at your loved one, you'll go, Richard, we need handles in there! <laughs> Straight to brush my teeth, nearly lost an eye! <laughs> So if there's any tips on safety I can give you, my friends, it's get a non-slip mat, honestly. <laughs> I used to have life ambitions, not anymore. Now I simply don't want to be found dead on my bathroom floor. <laughs> on the big shave day, that's it. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, Amy... We will do that, and wherever you are in the world, look up that night charter because you may be able to institute it uh, in your business. You don't have to be attached to London to do that. It's a great set of principles that have been worked out. And subscribe to the New York Times and check out Gender, News and Opinion. Zoe? Uh, I'm going to Edinburgh for a couple of weeks this year. So that's August, so it's miles away. But I do need to sell quite a few tickets. Well, this, this podcast isn't going to come out immediately either. So what's your show in Edinburgh? It's a, it's a, it's a rehash or a revamp or, or a, of last year's show. We've dusted it off and there's a couple of new bits in there. But it's basically last year's show. <laughs> that's exactly what your PR was yeah. hoping you'd say. What's it called? It's called uh, Zoe Lyons Entry Level Human. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Check her out. Amy LeMay, anything else you want to plug? No, you can listen to me on Six Music on Sundays, 4pm, or get it on BBC Sounds. Can you imagine this voice on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> Such a cool woman. Such a cool woman. And Alicia Whitmire? I don't have anything this fun to plug. Uh, you, do, you have the whole of the New York Times. Come on. Okay, that's all Come I got. On. The whole of the Times. Um, <laughs> You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Zoe Lyons, and our very special guests, Amy LeMay and Alicia Whitmire. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. The music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Thomas Linsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Becca, Sally, and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. 